I love to see mom, dad, daughter singing together. Amen? That's encouraging. Amen? And uh, what a joy to serve the Lord with our families together. Amen? Take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter number 10 this morning. Mark chapter number 10. This morning, we're going to be in the last section of Mark chapter 10, and we'll be reading verse number 46 through 52 together. And uh, this is um, probably one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, the story of blind Bartimaeus. And uh, I've been looking forward to getting here since we started the book of Mark, and here we are. So uh, it's an exciting place to be. Brother Mike, you're holding your hand up at me for something. I need batteries. I knew he was waving his hand at me about something. Do a test. There we go. Right, so if you found your place in Mark 10, let's stand together. In honor of the word of God this morning, we'll read verse number 46 down through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David... Have mercy on me. Many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried out the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's pray together. Lord, each week we read scriptures together. And Lord, um, we do so on purpose stand on purpose. We read it aloud on purpose. We want our eyes to see the words from your, your written word. We want to hear it in our ears. Lord, please do not let us get deadened to the ritual of it. Lord, stir our hearts each time we read it. Lord, I pray, Father, this morning that you would do the work in our hearts that only you can do. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in my heart this morning. And we'll praise you for what you're already doing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You can be seated there if you would. Jesus is on his journey to the cross. We answered in the first section of Mark, who is Jesus? And we said, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then we've asked the question, what is the mission of the Messiah? What's his purpose? Why did he come And we've answered that question at the end of this chapter. He said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we see the reason he came. And 
And now we're about to transition into the next section of Mark. And chapter 11 through the end of the book of Mark is going to be the journey to the cross and through the cross. And the very next text that we would open to is the triumphant entry of Christ as he comes in there. And we see that beautiful picture of a glimmer of who he is. But here we are with this summary story, I think, of chapter 10. Remember 10, we've asked the question, who can enter the kingdom of God and how do we enter the kingdom of God? And we understand you only enter the kingdom of God if you are not depending upon your status or your wealth. You must come with the faith of a little child as you enter the kingdom of God. And here this blind Bartimaeus with no wealth, with no position, but great humility, he comes to Jesus and I believe enters the kingdom of God because of his humble faith. And by the way, there's no other way to come but through humble faith. There's no other access. He's going to Jerusalem, now from Jerusalem, heading to Jerusalem. The scripture tells us it's with his disciples and a great number of people. You know, have you ever overlooked someone in a crowd? Someone that they said, hey, I was going to talk to you Sunday, but I didn't see you. And they're like, I was there. Well, I saw them over there and I wanted to get to them, but I didn't get to them in time. And it's very easy for us to overlook someone in a crowd. But I'm glad to say this morning, Jesus never looks anybody, overlooks anybody he's intending to meet. He has a purpose here. This is all planned. It's all a purpose. It's all laid out. I want to divide our th thoughts this morning into a few sections to maybe help us think through them. First off, I want you to see a hopeless scene, some hope-filled news, a passionate cry, a grace-filled call, and then from darkness to light. First off, a hope-filled scene. Would you journey in your minds with me back to this little city or maybe even village or poverty-stricken lean-to outside the city of Jericho and picture what it might have been like for this blind man. The text tells us that he wants to see again. That would be the implication of it. And so there is some implication that he had sight at one point but lost it. And he asked that he might have sight again. So let's think into his world just for a moment. Nothing was different about that day. As the room warmed with the rising heat of the morning, it was clear to Bartimaeus that the sun had risen. He stirs himself in the perpetual dark world that has become his existence. Groping and finding his tattered garments, he pulls them on them and prepares for the day. Just like clockwork, a neighbor comes and guides him to the edge of the city where he finds his place near the edge of the road. So many others are gathered there that they would ask and beg for just a little bread. The prospects of this week are good, though, since the Passover traffic has increased and many are in a generous mood. Another day of begging would soon commence. No doubt Bartimaeus in the past had been overwhelmed by despair, but now despair was no more because hope was no more. There was nothing the doctors could do. There's little the family and friends could provide. So now seated in his place, he begins his calling out to travelers as he hears their footfalls drawing closer. A crust of bread, a bit of fish, a copper coin. Just another day in the life of a blind Jewish beggar. It was a hopeless scene. 
This man had nothing in that day he could offer society. I am very thankful for the advancements of our society. That today that many that are infirmed in sight or cannot hear or maybe even unable to be mobile can be very productive members of society. And we can be thankful for the advancements that God has allowed human history to see in that regard. But in this day, there was none of that. Today, a blind man could read on his own. Today, there's audio that can play to them books and they can go to places that in their mind they never could have gone and be extremely productive. As a matter of fact, if you were to pick up an average hymnal out of an average church, you're going to find many, many of the songs were written by someone who never saw. And we see that production taking place and God's grace working through that. But in this man's world, it was impossible for him to run a farm, be a carpenter, to labor with his hands, to do anything that would be considered productive for his society. And so he found himself reduced to doing nothing but sitting in the same spot day after day, week after week, asking for a little bit and a little bit. He said to this point, his benefactors could do, all they could do for him was sustain his existence. And yet each time the coin rang in the cup, it was a reminder of his condition. Each time he cried out to another passerby, it was a reminder of his hopelessness. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let me say this morning that that is the picture of the condition of every man, woman, boy, or girl before Jesus comes. So now we turn to some hopeful news. Hopeful news. Look in verse number 47. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, uh, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Someone's coming up the road now. He can hear them in the distance. No, that's not someone. That's a crowd of people. His curiosity peaks. Who's coming? Is it a governor, a king, a rabbi, a ruler? The question is passed down the line of beggars, and one beggar asked another, and another asked another, and another man asked another man, and it goes down the line, and finally the answer comes racing back up the line. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the miracle worker. The rumors had preceded this man. He can heal the lame, they say. He can cleanse the leper. He can even raise the dead and cast out demons. A glimmer of hope rises in his heart, but it's quickly followed by fear and uncertainty. Will he see me? Will he hear me over the crowd? Will he answer me even if he hears me? Resolve takes hold and he lifts his voice and a bold request comes from his lips. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I love this wording in our text here, verse number 47, and when he heard. How did he hear? How did he hear? How did he even know who Jesus was? How did the message, who had brought the message to him? Was it a beggar next to him that maybe walked up to him one evening and kind of slid up to him and said, hey, Bartimaeus, did you hear what's going on down in Galilee? Did you hear about the guy named Jesus? Uh, he's a rabbi, and, and he's touched some eyes that were blind, and he's touched some crippled hands, and they've been healed, and he cast out some demons. And he goes, really? That's amazing. I wonder if he'll ever come through here. And he goes, I don't know. He said, but it's pretty amazing what I'm hearing about this guy. I don't know how he heard. Maybe it was a family member that came to him and said, Bartimaeus, 
I just want you to know there's a, there's a rabbi. I'm going to see if I can't figure out a way to get you to him. And he told him the stories of Jesus. I don't know how he heard of Jesus, but I sure am glad that he heard of him. You see, there was an implication about Jesus that when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, hope rose in his heart and he began to cry out to Jesus of Nazareth. Something was going on there. He had heard about him. All of us this morning have heard various ways and from various people, but we all have heard the same joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I wonder this morning, how did you hear about Jesus? Who told you? Somebody, just raise your hand right now and tell me who told you. Who told you about Jesus? Yes, ma'am. Your sister, what's her name? Joanne told you about Jesus. Somebody else, tell me, yes. Awana's leader, you were seven years old, amen. Somebody else, tell me who told you. A stranger named Jack, amen. Somebody else, tell me who told you. Yes, ma'am. Your mom. B.R. Lakin. I know that name. Yes. The Salvation Army. Somebody else tell me who told you. Anybody else? I'm seeing, I'm not seeing hands. They should be shooting up. There you go. Your dad. Amen. You know, I, I thank God for hearing the gospel. And here's the thing. Every one of us have heard it from somebody. Somebody came to where we were and told us about Jesus. And he just gets to this place where when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, you see, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Kings and kingdoms would all pass away, but there's something about that name. You see, the name of Jesus came to us, and we have heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves, and so our job now is to spread the tiding all around that Jesus saves. You see, if somebody came to you and told you about Jesus, who are you going to and telling them about Jesus? Just going and telling somebody, hey, I just want to tell you what Jesus Christ has done for me. And by the way, that's the best thing you can do and the best opening you can make when it comes to sharing God, the gospel with somebody is just tell them that you were a sinner and Jesus is a savior. And tell them what Jesus Christ did for you. I think of the blind man that we find in John chapter number 9. And he says, here's the thing I do know. I don't know if he was a sinner or not. But one thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. And he just testifies what Jesus had done for him. So not only do we see the passionate, or now we see the passionate cry. Look in verse number 47 and 48. And when he had heard it. Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, the son of David. Now this is a messianic reference. When we look in the Old Testament, we understand that the Messiah would be a son of David, but I don't believe for a minute that this blind man understood the implications of what he was asking for here. I believe it's also an honorific for anyone who was a part of the nation of Israel. And it would be a statement of saying, hey, my fellow countrymen, have mercy on me. Hey, brother, that you're, you're a Jew and I'm a Jew, and do a favor for a Jewish brother and have mercy on me. And he's reaching out to this man in the name of his national connection with him. And he knows he's somebody, he knows that he's a miracle worker, but he's not implying that he's the Messiah in this text. That's not what the, the, the blind man has in mind. And how many of you are glad this morning that the long, the, we, we accepted Jesus Christ, we didn't quite comprehend it all? But the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer that I walk with him, the more majestic I find out he is. 
the more powerful we know him to be. And the longer we walk with him, we begin to understand more about who he is. And here he is reaching out for mercy in this moment to a fellow countryman that he believed in and believed could work a miracle in his life. And he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. It's also the title of the Messiah that would come. We see, because we're reading back into it, the implication of it. But I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the text here and, and take this a little bit out of order, and then I want to come back to the first of this verse. But he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried out a great deal more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. We see the hindrance of the crowd. They're coming along and saying, hey, be quiet. We're trying to listen to him teach. It would be a normal routine for the Messiah or any rabbi who was journeying to uh, the Passover. As they walked, they would teach and, and lay a discourse down, and he began to do that. And no doubt the people around the crowd were encumbered by the noise of the crowd itself. And then you have this beggar on the side of the road crying out, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, hey, we're trying to listen to him talk. Be quiet, be quiet. Here's a coin, be quiet. Leave us be. And they're doing their best to keep him quiet. We don't have time for you right now. It's the same thing that the apostles did in verse 13 and 14 of this chapter. When the children were coming to Jesus and they said, no, 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 but keep those children away from us. He didn't have time for that. So glad that anytime somebody tries to put someone on the outside, Jesus welcomes them in. Jesus is always bringing those on the outside in. You know why I'm glad of that? It's because you and I were on the outside. And he welcomed us in. And Jesus says, hold on a second here, and in a minute he's going to turn these people who are rejecting or stopping this man, he's going to turn them into evangelists. They were doing their best to stop him. The, the text, the, the wording here means they firmly and continuously commanded him to be quiet. Stop talking. They're firm about this. And yet the more they insisted, the more he cried out for mercy. Let me say this morning, do not let anything discourage you from crying out to Jesus for mercy. Because here's the reality. I'm glad that salvation has been sealed and that my name is written in the book of life. I'm glad today that the Holy Spirit of God is my earnest and to the day of redemption and everything that he has promised me is sure in Jesus Christ. And just as sure as Jesus Christ rose from the grave, one day Mike Montgomery will rise again to eternal life to be with him forever. And I believe that. But here's the also reality is that every morning I need his mercy. And every day we should be crying out for mercy. God, give me mercy today. And I'm glad today that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Do not let anything or anyone hinder you from crying out to Jesus. Now, by the way, I am glad he sees us where we are. This blind man may have been nervous that Jesus would miss him, but Jesus doesn't miss anything. You know, I wonder too, as I think of this, is there ever a time in our heart of hearts when someone shares a hurt or a heartache and you don't really feel like dealing with their hurt or heartache. I'm just kind of tired myself right now. Does the pain of others ever arrive at your door in an inconvenient time? Anybody there? Yeah. It's inconvenient to think of it right now. Times that you might prefer just to say to them, hold your peace, be quiet. Now, definitely, we could learn to be more patient and compassionate toward those around us. But I got good news for you. 
your news or your hurt may arrive to me at an inconvenient time, but it's never going to arrive at him at an inconvenient time. He's always going to hear it. He's always going to be ready to receive it. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to notice in our text that he does cry for mercy. It's not a demand for justice. It's not a demand for rights as a citizen of the nation of Israel. He is not coming to Jesus saying, this is what I am owed or this is the raw deal I've been dealt. But he recognizes that he needs mercy. Now church, I want you to listen well. And if you were asleep a minute ago, wake up now. Go back to sleep in a minute. But listen to this. In our day, there is a cry for justice. We hear it from all quarters. And we hear it from different groups and a call for justice. And many have been done wrong in this fallen world. There is no question about it. Great injustices have been perpetrated upon our fellow men. And many in this very room this morning have been abused and hurt beyond words by evil men and women. And with that pain and with that hurt, there is a desire within us to cry out for justice. And that is a right cry for justice. Justice is something we should pray for. It's something we should call for. Justice is a good thing. And even as imperfect as it is in our fallen world, we should strive for a just society. We as Bible-believing Christians hope for a day than one day when God will perfectly balance the scales of justice. But we also have a responsibility today to labor for a just society, no matter how imperfect our attempts are, and we should continue to strive for it. Now, let me just say this very clearly. I'm thankful, so thankful, for a judicial system in our country that strives for justice. And many would stand and say that it's flawed and it's failed. And that is true. There are flaws and there are failures. And there are miscarriages of justice that take place. But the reality is all this system has to work with is flawed and failed men. And so there will be flaws and there will be failures. And yet we should continue to strive. When someone has been sinned against, we want to see them face the penalty of the law. If someone has abused you this morning, if someone has treated you in an immoral way or has mishandled you in any way, they should face the justice of the law. No two ways about it. It should be dealt with and should be dealt with here and now. But with all of that said, when you and I stand before a holy God, when I look up to a holy God and I see him for who he is, I cannot ask God to give me justice. For if I ask God to give me justice, I would burn in hell. And here's the thing, when we ask for justice, we must also ask for mercy. Because if I would not ask mercy for you, and I would not ask mercy for you, then how can I ask mercy for me? Because if I demand that you receive justice in its, in its fury and its severity, and I want you to face all the justice for what you've done to me, then I too must ask the same thing for myself, and that would place us both squarely in a Christless hell for eternity. For when I stand before God, I cannot cry out for justice, because justice, I could never bear it. 
I can only do the same thing is lift my voice with this blind Jewish beggar and cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Because I need far more than the law could ever provide. I need mercy. And this morning, our nation needs the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to pour out upon them far more than we need justice. Without the mercy of God, we have no hope. This blind man reaches out for mercy. God, give me mercy. Look, if you would, in verse number 49. And Jesus stood still. I I see that and I love it every time I see it. The creator of the universe becomes flesh, is here on earth with a mission in mind. He is now on his way to the most important point of human history. And a blind man calls out for mercy and that same creator stands still. Stops him in his tracks. He responds to a blind man who's on the roadside begging for mercy. What a grace-filled call we see in verse 49 and 50. Jesus pauses at the cry of a blind man. What a privilege to know he hears us even when we're sinful and broken and away from him. You know, let me make something very clear this morning. Don't ever get the idea that Jesus is waiting for you to fix everything before he hears your prayers. I'm glad this morning God is not looking just for Christians that are so well aligned that he is privileged to answer our prayer. Friend, you had never prayed because you were worthy, and you will never pray because you're worthy. There's never been a time that you have been worthy. Well, pastor, I've just been out of church for a while, or pastor, I've not been reading my Bible, and I just don't know if God will hear me. He hears you because of who he is, not who you are. I'm so glad this morning that God hears the prayers of affection, yes, but he hears our prayers of affliction. And I'm always reminded of Jonah in this account. In Jonah chapter number one, Jonah's asked to pray and by the pagans. They said, hey, pray, we're going to die. Pray, we're going to die. And he goes, I'm not praying. Just throw me overboard and let me die. I don't want to go to Nineveh. And he gets thrown overboard in chapter one, and the Bible tells the well swallows him. And then we open chapter two, and it says, then Jonah prayed. I bet. You wake up in the belly of a whale, you'll pray. And he said, I cried unto the Lord by reason of mine affliction. He wasn't crying out of affection. He was crying out of his own rebellious heart and calling out to God. And God heard him in his despair and heard him in his sinfulness and heard him in his rebellion. And God hears us where we are. He's not waiting for you to measure up to hear you. Call out to him right now. He wants to hear you right where you're at. What a savior. Psalm 61, one and two says, hear my cry, O God. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. Psalms 18, six, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and he heard my voice out of his temple. Psalms uh, 28, one and two, unto thee will I cry. Hear the voice of my supplication. Psalm 142, verse five, I cried unto the Lord. Thou art my refuge. We have no other refuge. We have no other place to go. And we call on him. And I am so glad that when I call, he hears me. And it's amazing to me to watch this blind man sitting by the roadside begging. And he cries out. And the creator of the universe stood still. What a picture. So what does he then respond to him and says? And he commanded him to be called. 
call him to me. Jesus asked those who were telling this man to be quiet to go get him now. Hey, tell him to come here. Now, what a message. You and I have a mission to go and tell people they've been called. Go tell them I'm calling for him. Go tell them the good news that Jesus calls. You know, let me say this morning, he doesn't need my help. God could do his work without me. Um, and I, I think it's important, especially uh, we as pastors, that we remind ourselves regularly that we are expendable. God doesn't need me. It is the privilege of mine to get to partner with him. It's the privilege of mine to be nothing but a clay pot filled with the wonderful, glorious treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I get to take this broken clay pot and pour it out on a weekly basis to God's people and share it with my neighbors. And that's what you and I are. We're nothing but broken vessels. God doesn't need us, and yet he invites us to participate in this gospel ministry. And he looks at these people that were missing the point just a minute ago and says, hey, go call him. We're not moving from here until you go get him. See, we are not the solution, and we never have been the solution, but we can bring people to the solution. So now this blind man sits on the roadside. His voice is sharp as it rings through the morning air, and he, so he cries again, this time with more force. The crowd is drawing closer. He continues his call. Be quiet, comes the call back. You're interrupting the rabbi. He cries out even louder still. The questions must have been circling in his mind. Will he hear me? And then they come to him. Be of good comfort. Arise. He calleth thee. Isn't it wonderful the moment you remembered that he called you? We were lost and undone, and yet he called us where we were, and the message came, and I can only imagine the hope that must have risen up in this man's soul when he heard that the Messiah, this Jesus, this miracle worker had called him, and the Bible tells us that he cast off his garment. He threw it aside, and I contrast that in my mind to the rich young ruler just a few verses earlier when Jesus said, hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he said, no, he wouldn't do that. He went away sorrowful because he had much possessions. And yet this man who had nothing but his prized possession, probably this cloak was one of the few possessions he had. And it would have been what he used to sleep in at night to keep him warm. And he threw all security away and he ran. I wonder what it looked like for a blind man to get up and stumble toward Jesus. Probably about what it looks like when you and I go toward him. We do so imperfectly. And yet he calls us to him. One commentator says this is a picture of him throwing off his self-righteousness, his religion, his position, his self-importance. He came to Jesus. And by the way, that's the only place of hope you can come. Be of good comfort, they said. Arise, he calleth thee. Oh, the message of the call of God. From the Garden of Eden, when God called out to Adam in the garden, we see God's picture of grace. He could have judged him in the moment. He knew what Adam did. He knew where Adam was. And yet God comes into the garden and he calls out to Adam. Adam, where art thou? He wasn't trying to find out where Adam was. He was trying to let Adam see where Adam was. And Adam realized how far away he was all the way down to the present as Jesus looks at this world today and says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. See, the grace of God is displayed in the fact that he calls us to him. 
The fact that he invites us into his presence is a demonstration of his grace. And so now we see lastly, from darkness to light. Jesus answered and said unto him in verse 51, Wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What would you have me do? Now, if you remember last week, if you were here, I asked you to underline that question earlier in our text because the, the apostles were asked the very same question. What will you that I would do unto you? What do you want me to do for you? And remember the apostle, James and John, they said, we'd like to sit at your left hand and your right hand when you come into your kingdom. He asked what he would do. Uh, he, he doesn't ask this question um, because he doesn't know what the man needs. It's very clear what the man needs. But he asked the question so the man would know who provided it. And he asked that our faith may venture to the great request. You see, the, the wonderful picture here is that he gives this blank offer, what do you want me to do for you? And this man could have asked for anything. He could have said, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here week after week and nobody gives me a whole lot of money. Uh, is there a way you could give me some money? He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't miss the opportunity. He didn't say, you know, hey, my cloak that I just dropped back there, it's kind of tattered and messed up. Is there a way you could give me a nicer coat? He didn't ask for a better position on the road. He, you know, he's not sitting there saying, hey, you see the two, the two crippled guys up there? They chased me off from that spot last week with their canes. I'd like to get that back. Can you kick them out and let me have that spot? You know, he's not asking for position. He's not asking for education. He's not asking for any of these things. This blind man is given the option, and here's what he asks very clearly. What would you have me do unto you? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. I love this phrase, and it was in one of the commentaries this week. The blind man's faith rose to the full height of divine possibility. He said, well, I got one audience. I'm going to ask him for everything. I'm not going to piecemeal this thing out. I just want to ask for the whole shooting match right now. I want to have my sight back. And I love that. He said his faith rose to the full height of divine possibility. See, the apostles were asking for position. He's asking for understanding and sight. You know, I fear too often our prayers are for promotion rather than understanding and sight. One evidence of my weak faith is my small prayers. You know, and I think too often when we think of big prayers... What we think about is big things, big buildings and big churches and big jobs and big positions. We pray, God, grow our church. I want to see people in our church, and I thank God for the people in our church. But what an empty prayer would be if all we did was say, God, add numbers to us. God, add people to our seats. I remember as a young pastor in southern Ohio in a small farming community there and can't tell you how many times I would walk around the pews of that auditorium and praying and trying to understand what God was doing and God why are we here and what are you doing with me and I remember those early days of feeling God please let somebody come to church Sunday you know I was tired of just preaching to my wife and uh, she was tired of me just preaching to her and uh, and it was I felt so desirous and what I found is praying through that is that here's the reality, God's given people for us to love and they're right in front of us. And that's who God gave us. And if we're not careful, we're looking for other people and other positions when God's already given you a place and he's given you a people. Now love those people and stop wishing for different ones. 
Far better than praying for God to grow our church numerically, let us pray for God to build up the people in the knowledge of who he is. Let us pray for God to build up the people in this room that next year will look more like Jesus than we did this year. That will respond with more grace than we did before. God, open our eyes that we could see who you are and see people in the condition they're in and see ourselves in the condition we're in and help us understand. God, open our eyes, not build our place, not build our position. You see, if we are seeking position and not understanding, we're missing the fullness of what the request is. He says, what would you have me to do? And they said, give us a position. What would you have me to do? Let me see. Let me see. Let me understand. So instead of God, grow our church. God, build your people up to be more like you. Instead of God, give my child popularity and friends. God, help them know you in the midst of suffering. Instead of, God, remove all of these financial burdens, God, help me to trust you and see what you're doing in the midst of these burdens. God, open my eyes and let me see what you're doing. See, it's not about just fixing the circumstances or positioning us in a better place. I think so often our prayers are, God, if you could give me this, then I won't need you. Because if I had that position, I'd have everything I wanted. If I had that notoriety, I'd have everything I'd wanted. See, our prayers are so short-sighted because we're not really wanting him. Now, please understand my heart when I say this. When we pray prayers like this, God, make our nation great on the world stage. Make us strong. Make us powerful. Make us that America. And what we should be praying is, God, open our eyes to our pride and our sinfulness God, open the eyes of our leaders to their responsibility and it is not ultimately to the American people, but it is to a holy God who they'll stand before one day. God, give us a brokenness over our neighbors. Give us a hunger to win our neighbors and not an argument. Help us to understand that there's an eternal battle going on, not a temporal one. God, open the eyes of our nation. God, help us to see things as you see it. This blind man calls out in faith. Jesus responds, go thy way, thy faith have made thee whole. Thy faith had made thee whole. It was not faith in faith that saved this man, but it was faith in Jesus Christ that gave him his sight. He received his sight and followed Jesus. Now look at what happened. Jesus says, go thy way. But a man who receives sight, he doesn't go his way anymore. When we've had our sight, we follow Jesus. And that's the response of this man. He followed Jesus. So this morning, I don't know where you are, but I think this is a picture of where we all are at times. We are blind and we were away from him. What would you have me to do? That I could receive my sight and then let's follow Jesus. Head bowed and eyes closed. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I ask you to do a work in my heart, or give me eyes to see you, give me ears to hear you, help me to understand what you're doing in and through this church for your glory. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would stir us this morning. Let's stand to our feet right now, let's sing together.